We've, uh, we've been in a, a series uh, for some time now for the summer. It's in Romans. We're calling it Paul's Gospel. And it's really, and this is what Paul says. He's like, this is my gospel. And we, we started out recognizing that what Paul has, uh, has figured out, what he's understood, is that uh, in the light of the fact that Jesus um, is the Messiah, and the Messiah comes not as like this warrior prince, not um, in any of the ways that people kind of expected, but instead came to die and be resurrected and then ascend to heaven and send the Spirit, that, that story has changed everything for Paul. It's a, it's a paradigm shift. He's completely rethinking everything that he thought he knew about faith, uh, life, death, God, uh, in light of this new revelation. And so a couple weeks ago, we, we, we left off with this notion that before it was understood that the way that we're supposed to live is like by this set of rules. We do, we, here's the things that we do, here's the things that we don't. And if you want to be a good person, if you want to be uh, with God, that's how you live. And Paul's like, no, no. We looked at Romans 8 and we just noticed how much Paul is talking about the Spirit. And we, we said really what Paul thinks good Christian living is, is it's, it's chasing the Spirit. It's going after where the Spirit's at. And often that doesn't look like, you know, a set of, of rules of this and that. Instead, it can sometimes be wild, adventurous, fresh, scary. But it leaves an open question. All right, if, if that's what, what life is like, if that's what we're supposed to be doing, well, what about us and God? Like, is there still some—I mean, because we're not great people. We make mistakes. Uh, we sin. Um, and and if, if pleasing God's not—this is the question that animates us today. If pleasing God's not about doing this or that, what is it? You know, how can I make sure that things are right between me and God? Like, it, you know, God's out there presumably looking down and seeing the way we live. Uh, what, what is it that sort of makes that right? If, if there's not a set of principles and rules and do's and don'ts that we can, we can follow to guarantee it. Well, uh, let's take a look at uh, Romans 4 today. You'll notice we, we're not exactly going chronologically through Romans. Uh, that's because Paul himself bounces around uh, with these themes, and so the way we're organizing it is kind of according to, to, to topics. But hopefully this gives you an entree into uh, Romans. This is Romans 4, 1 through 13. Uh, this is New Revised Standard. I've uh, made some, some changes to it to make it uh, easier to understand, uh, but we'll go through uh, together. What then are we to say was gained by Abraham, our ancestor according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham trusted Yahweh, and God counted his belief as righteousness. Now, to somebody who works, wages are not reckoned as a gift, but as something due. But to the one who, without deeds, trusts the one who pronounces the ungodly righteous, that faith is counted as righteousness." So also David speaks of the blessedness of those to whom God reckons righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose iniquities are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one against whom the Lord will not reckon sin. Is this blessedness then pronounced only on the circumcised or also on those who haven't been circumcised? Well, we say faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted so? Was it before or after he'd been circumcised? It wasn't after, it was before. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the ancestor of all who believe without being circumcised and who thus have righteousness reckoned or counted to them. And likewise, the ancestor of the circumcised who are not only circumcised, but who also follow the example of faith that our ancestor Abraham had before he was circumcised. For the promise that he would inherit the world did not come to Abraham or to his descendants through law, through doing this or that, 
but through the righteousness of faith. Let's talk about circumcision. That sounds fun. Uh, yeah. Um, so it's gnarly practice. Uh, no, it's not. You're right. We'll just, we'll just, we'll move by. We'll just, we all know what circumcision is, circumcision is, hopefully. But it's kind of weird that Paul's so obsessed about circumcision. Why, why are you, why are you freaking out about this, man? Well, uh, the first thing to notice is that Paul's a Jew, and uh, he, he trusts and loves uh, the, the old, what we think of as the Old Testament, Hebrew Scriptures, the Torah, and, and he sees himself as a child of Abraham. Abraham's like the first, I mean, he's not really Jewish, but he's the first guy who follows God. And Abraham is known uh, throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament as God's friend, like God's, God's buddy, someone who's tight with God. Right? And the question is, well, well, what did Abraham do? What was it that made Abraham right with God? How is it that Abraham figured these things out? And so Paul asks, what does the scripture say? He says, Abraham trusted Yahweh and God counted his belief as righteousness. Uh, if you pull out the Pew Bible or you read any other contemporary translations, it'll say this. It'll say, uh, Abraham believes God and he uh, reckoned it righteousness or reckoned it as righteousness. Um, reckoned it to him as righteousness. I've just made the, the pronouns a little less confusing here and, and really just made it really explicit. So Abraham trusts Yahweh. Uh, the Greek there is pistuo, believe, trust, have faith in, like, and I'll we'll explain that for a second. And God counted that belief as righteousness. What was he trusting Yahweh about? Well, uh, this is a quote that Paul's quoting from uh, Genesis, Genesis 15. If you were with us about a year ago, we were doing uh, a series through the Old Testament. We actually looked a little bit at this passage. And, and what's going on is Abraham's getting older. He's an older man. He doesn't have any kids. For Abraham, that's a really big deal because God said, Hey, man, I'm going to bless you. You're going to be fruitful. You're going to have a lot of children. Uh, Abraham was like, oh, okay, I believe you, but then it didn't happen, and then uh, Abraham's starting to get a little worried, he's getting really old, and God comes to him in 15, chapter 15, and says, hey, I haven't forgot about you, man. You don't need to worry about it. I really am going to give you a son. And it says, Abraham trusted God, and God counted or reckoned his belief as righteousness. Now notice, just believing somebody, trusting someone, is not a good, morally good or bad thing. Okay? If I decide to trust somebody, that's just like, I'm like, oh, I think that you're trustworthy and I trust you. But that's not like good or evil. It's not right or wrong. And yet there seems to be something about what God's doing that, that is imputing or telling Abraham, no, I am going to consider you a good person, kind of. The reason it comes weird to us in English is uh, our word righteousness is, is translating the Greek diakosune, uh, which is actually translating uh, the, the Hebrew sedakah. And sedakah usually gets translated as justice or righteousness, um, but it really doesn't mean really good. And to understand what it means, we've got to go back to 1992. When the true and only version of Aladdin came out in the theaters. Do I have it? Where is it? There it is. Oh, what a great moment. Apparently, Will Smith is the genie uh, in the new one. <laughs> Never going to see that. My kids are not allowed to watch it either. Uh, that's just why. Um, no. Uh, in fact, Disney Evil Corporation, money vacuum that it is, uh, completely out of ideas. Now they're just taking great classics and turning them into cartoons, or taking the cartoons and turning them into live action. 
Um, you are not welcome here if you go and see any of those movies. Okay? There are, uh, there are, <laughs> he's like, I'm out! I got an out! <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, no, I'm, I'm just kidding, but not really. They're horrible. Uh, and, but, but if you really must see them, fine. They're ruining my childhood. Um, but in the, in the real Aladdin, there's this great moment. It happens twice, actually. But the first time, uh, Aladdin is like a street thief. He's a street rat. And he meets the princess. Who's in, in, she's incognito. And they, they're being chased by the guards. They both think the guards are after them. And they, they get up uh, into a, they're like next to like a window. And the guards are like closing in on them. And, and it looks like they're like six stories up. And, and it looks like they're done. And so Aladdin looks down to, uh, to Jasmine. And he's like, do you trust me? And she's like a little bit scared. Like, I don't know what that means because it looks, you seem to be looking out like over a six-story drop. That seems unsafe. Uh, but, yeah. And so she grabs his hand. And he's, not yet, not yet. Hold on, that's not yet. And he swings her out. He swings her out and they fall six stories. But Aladdin's got like this cool escape plan. And so they like hit like a bunch of stuff on the way down and they land perfectly. And, and if you're paying attention, not just to what the action on the screen, but you're paying attention thematically, what you notice is that at this moment, Aladdin and Jasmine's relationship has begun. Okay? They were strangers. They were strangers. They, they, they found themselves in this situation. But right here, something about their, they, their strangerhood moves into something that's a little more intimate. We wouldn't say that they're, I mean, we know that they're destined for each other. But we wouldn't say that they're, like, dating. Um, we wouldn't say, we might even not even say they're friends. But something's changed, and a relationship of some kind, Facebook status, it's complicated, has, has, uh, has, has been initiated. And this is important because this actually happens a second time. Aladdin, uh, they, they get separated. Aladdin becomes rich. The genie, Robin Williams, the one and only genie, uh, makes Aladdin like this awesome, you know, rich guy. And now he's incognito. And Jasmine's not sure if she likes this guy because he's like putting on fronts or whatever. And then he's floating on his magic carpet and she's like, oh, that looks cool. But also dangerous, a little unsafe. And he looks down and he's like, do you trust me? Now you can go. Mom, come on. Do you trust me? And in this moment, she recognizes, some, she, she figures out who Aladdin is because she sees this person with whom a relationship had initiated. She recognizes him. And she takes his hand and then like one of the all-time greatest Disney songs happens. Don't you dare close your eyes. I mean, it's like, it hits, hits right to the core of me, Baxter. Um, and, but what, what, what we're doing, again, looking back thematically, thematically, uh, we're recognizing that it's the trust between these two that has created the relationship. The, the, before they were strangers, but now Jasmine's trust in Aladdin has initiated a relationship. That's the first thing in your note sheets. Only tr- oh wait, oh, go back to the text. This is awesome. But to the one who, without deeds, trusts the one who pronounces the ungodly righteous, that faith is counted as righteousness. See, Paul looks back and he sees what happened with Abraham in Genesis 15. Abraham's like, okay, God, I trust you. And, and at that moment, 
uh, God counts that as righteousness. And, and in Hebrew, tzedakah, righteousness doesn't mean good or bad. It really means like doing right by someone in a relationship. It means, uh, so if you're like, if you work together, it's like performing all the things that work colleagues are supposed to do. If you're friends, it means treating each other the way that friends are supposed to treat each other. If you're married, it means treating your spouse the way that married people are supposed to be related. That's righteousness. And Abraham reckon, reckon, or Paul recognizes that when God sees Abraham say, okay, I believe you. I trust you. That's what God expects out of people. That's all he asks from his friends. That's what he wants from people who would be his friends. And now Paul says, and hey, guess what? Just like Abraham did that, now anyone, anyone who without deeds, haven't done the rules, haven't done the this and that, I haven't accomplished X, I'm still guilty of Y, and yet I trust the one who pronounces the ungodly righteous. That belief, that trust is counted as righteousness. In the same way that Abraham believed and began a relationship with God, anyone, especially people who are not great, Gentiles we'll talk about in a little bit, we look at and God says, look, here's the deal. I'm going to make you my friends. But you got to believe me when I say that. I know you, know you know you don't deserve it. You know that. But this is what I'm doing. In Jesus Christ, in the Messiah's death and resurrection, I'm fixing you, wiping away your sin. I'm going to make you my friend. And the response is, that's it. God's looking at the entire human race and he's saying, do you trust me? And our response is just to, yeah. That's the first thing you know, cheats. Only trust can create a relationship with God. Only trust can create a relationship with God. Let's go back to the text. I've skipped uh, the bit about uh, David for the sake of time. Um, but if you want to talk to me about it at any time, I, I don't really have anything to do during the week. I'm very bored. So you can just call me. I mean, I know that a lot of you work, uh, which is great. Um, good for you. But uh, if you're bored at work, you can... I'll be like, oh, finally a friend. Okay, uh, how then was it reckoned to him? It. We're talking about righteousness. How was it counted to him? Was it before or after he'd been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. Yeah. Circumcision is a weird thing. In fact, it's interesting. Uh, around the time of Jesus, uh, circumcision was, <laughs> it was considered a barbaric practice that only a very small, weird sect of people, namely the Jews, practiced. I don't know when this changed. At some point, I think that uh, modern medicine caught up to the fact that um, male circumcision actually can prevent a lot of uh, health issues. And so modern medicine actually, at, at a certain point, began recommending circumcision. I think now the practice is like up to the parents and they're even moving more towards don't do circumcision for various reasons. It's a strange world we live in. Fashions come and go. At sometimes it's okay to eat eggs, other times it's not. Sometimes it's okay to circumcise your son, sometimes it's not, just depends on where you are. Uh but for the Jews, circumcision was a really big deal. See, circumcision was the mark that God gave to Abraham to say, "Hey, you're my friend." And anybody who comes after you is also my friend. It was like a physical thing. And it's interesting, God gave this mark to Abraham in Genesis 17, two chapters after he accounted Abraham's trust 
as making him his friend. And Paul picks up on this. Paul recognizes. He's like, Jews would walk around. They were like, hey, I don't have to worry about anything. I know I'm right with God because I have this physical mark. That was like how they thought. Some Jews would go even further and they'd say, well, I have this physical mark and I don't eat pork. Some would go even further and they'd say, I have this physical mark and I, fa- and I don't eat pork. I fast twice a week um, and I uh, stay away from people who are unclean. Some Jews would go even further and they would say, uh, I have this physical mark. I don't eat pork. I fast twice a week. I, uh, what else did I say? I don't hang out with dirty people. Um, and, and on top of that, I give a ton of money to the, to the church. And that's how I know I'm right with God. Did you know that 30, fully 36% of 18 to 39-year-olds now have tattoos in America? I was thinking about getting a tattoo in Japan when I was living there. It was pretty cool at the time because, uh, the, you know, it, there was like this fetish sort of with, with East Asia. And so the, like, the idea that these pictures means, mean words. But I quickly found out uh, from my Japanese friends who had access to the early Internet that uh, most of the time, or at least a lot of the time, when Japanese and Chinese tattoo artists were tattooing white people or people from the West, they were, uh, they were messing with them. Yeah, it's a true fact. So if you look at this tattoo, this is a tattoo that a guy got in the late 90s, early 2000s, um, because he was a Marine um, in Okinawa, and he wanted, and he defined himself by strength and courage. And so he went to a local tattoo artist, and he's like, I want you to tattoo the, the Japanese characters for strength and courage. And the tattoo artist looked at him and was like, you're a dirty barbarian. I can't stand that you people are here. You're always dating our girls, and I don't like it. But I do want your money. So he went ahead and he tattooed, little animal, big mistake. (laughs) (sighs) Rough, man. Uh, Yeah. So you got to be careful when you're getting a tattoo because it's hard to get them off from what I understand. Uh, Fully 20% of our tattooed uh, brothers and sisters say that they're addicted to ink, like they got to keep going which I love. I wish I had the courage to get a tattoo, but these stories like this, like my Japanese friends making fun of Americans, I was like, ah! It just freaks me out. Like, the idea that's putting something on it, you're never gonna, like, get rid of it. I'm, I'm terrified of it, and as a coward, I don't have the, the, the chutzpah to do what needs to be done. However, if I were to get a tattoo, I would probably want something meaningful. And so every once in a while, I go, I, I Google on, you know, tattoos that are meaningful. I came up with a couple here that I like, I want you to check these out. Um, the one on the bottom right says, uh, sometimes you, you got to fall before you fly. And it has pictures of birds. I like that. It's like, you can tell that the person who gets this tattoo is somebody who, like, has, has crashed and burned at some point. Like, there had been something in life where, and then uh, maybe coming out of it and then looking back and saying, wow, in order to get to here, I had to do this. Like, understanding their story and then sort of, putting that as a part of their story. I mean, I think that's cool. I really like uh, the, the one on the top left. It says, um, faith, hope, and love. And underneath, or on top of faith is the cross, right? And so, um, presumably talking about Jesus. Hope, then, uh, I think it's on the wrist, actually. Hope above it is like your pulse, right? And uh, so not only is that over your, um, your arteries and your, and your uh, wrist, but also Christian hope is, is life. It's eternal life, right? And so there's a symbolism there. And then love. Uh, and then you can see that heart. I think that's pretty cool. If I saw someone with that, I'd be like, all right, I can get behind that. And also you have uh, some meaningful tattoos, and I respect that. I really do. 
But here's the thing. When I look at your tattoos, I look at these tattoos, what I'm doing is I'm learning something about your past. Right? I'm learning something about uh, the way you see yourself. Something, something that's internal to you is now getting an expression on your wrist or your chest or whatever. Something that's meaningful to you is coming out on your body. But it was, it was meaningful to you and it was in, in interesting and powerful for you long before you found a way to put a tattoo on there to symbolize it. Right? What Paul understands is that circumcision and doing yes, this, that, and the other thing and, you know, being a good person and, and fasting and, and all those things, they, what those are is those are tattoos that you put on yourself. They're, they're, they're ways of, of signifying, well, this is something that's happened in my heart. This is something that I believe. I'm trusting God and I want you to know about it. I want you to see it. I want you to understand this is important to me. That, but the, the things on the outside don't have anything to do with whether or not you actually trust God. Imagine, imagine that you went and you were like, I'm really not a very faithful, hopeful, or loving person. But I know, I'm sure, that if I got this tattoo on my wrist, I would suddenly become really faithful, loving, and hopeful. No, that wouldn't work. Instead, the, the, the thing on your wrist has to be a symbol. It has to, it has to manifest or, or, or tell or communicate something that's already inside you. And what Paul's doing is he's saying, that's why God waited until chapter 17, Genesis 17, to give Abraham circumcision. What God wanted is he wanted Abraham to, to trust first. That's what matters. That's what makes Abraham God's friend. And then after that, we can talk about, you know, physical signs and, and, and tattoos and laws and rules. But first, trust. And so when Abraham gets circumcision, when, when the Jews get circumcision, that doesn't somehow, like, Oh, sweet. Now I can trust. Now I don't have to worry about trusting anymore. No. Those are supposed to be signs that you're still trusting. You look down. Well, okay. No one looks down at their circumcision very often. I was thinking of the tattoo. You look down at your tattoo, you're like, oh, that's right. I'm supposed to be faithful, uh, hopeful, and loving, right? It might remind you, but really the, the trusting part of you, the part of you that's making you right with God, that's keeping that relationship intact, that's got to exist whether or not the tattoo does. That's the next thing you're no cheese. Only trust can create and sustain a relationship with God. And it might even be good to say uh, sustain a healthy relationship with God. There's nothing, uh, like even if you stop trusting God, right? The relationship still exists. It's just not a good one, right? God still knows you and cares about you, but, but God's like, Come back. Remember when we used to be friends? That, that, that's so sustaining a healthy relationship, sustaining a vibrant or, or lively relationship with God. Let's go back to the text. The purpose, the purpose of circumcision was to make Abraham the ancestor of who? The Jews? No. All who believe without being circumcised and who thus have Righteousness, friendship with God, counted to them. 
Right? This is why God waited until Genesis 17 to bring up circumcision. He wanted everybody who trusts like Abraham trusts to be God's kids. And, he, and Paul goes on, he says, And likewise, the ancestor of the circumcised who are not only circumcised, but who also follow the example of the faith that our ancestor Abraham had before he was circumcised. I don't care, Paul's saying, if you're circumcised or not. I don't care if you're doing this or that. What I care about is do you trust God like Abraham did? That's what God's looking for. And, and, and the thing is, if you're not, if you're not doing that, then we, we, we know this intuitively. Um, you can imagine, say, a uh, husband. He's like, my wife doesn't recognize that I care about her. She doesn't think that I love her. And so what does a husband do? He does these things. He uh, gets to bury her under a mound of shopping bags. Right? Uh, a, suddenly it's date night. We haven't had date night in months, but now it's date night. Um, and then the little teddy bear with lots of flowers says, I'm sorry. You can imagine a wife who goes through life having everything, everything, that it looks like we think that a spouse would want. Right? Mounds of pocket bag, uh, shopping bags, a Tesla in the driveway, um, flowers, you know, scattered everywhere, well-maintained, uh, date night after date night after date night after date night. And you can imagine that woman still being like, I don't like, like this guy. He's given me all this stuff. But what I don't have is his trust. And he sure as heck doesn't have mine. And I'm wondering if really the reason it's date nights and shopping bags and Teslas and whatnot is because he's just worried that I'm going to take 50% when I leave. And I don't trust him. Even though I have everything I'm supposed to have. Similarly, when, when, when God looks at us, we might come to God and be like, I did this for you, and that for you, and I did da, 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 and I refrained from this when I could have. And God's like, yeah, but do you trust me? I think this matters, uh, because if you just think back a couple of weeks, when we're talking about what God wants to do with us, Right? He wants us to chase his spirit. He sent his spirit, and the spirit's doing crazy things. There's life and adventure and wildness all around that the spirit wants to take us to. Right? But if we're so concerned and so bound up with, well, I gotta do this, and I gotta do that, and I can't do this, and I can't do that, and uh, I gotta make sure that this, uh, I, I'm, you know, wearing this badge so that people know that I'm good with it. If, if you're focused on those things, you don't have time or the inclination, and certainly not the courage, to take the Spirit's hand, and go. And so the uh, next thing you know, Jesus, no amount of doing good or following rules can make things right with God. God's not interested in that. I mean, God's interested in that in, in sort of a tertiary way, but really what God's interested in is us just trusting and seeing where God's going and going with God.
Uh, I have, uh, so I think that, you know, it, hopefully the, the message is clear, but I, I think that, that this could be a really awesome time for, for a gut check for us. Because I do think, um, as I've sort of been here and, and, and pastoring and meeting people and getting to know people and deepening relationships, and I, I, I sense, and I've said this before, that there's a lot of possibility, and there's a lot of excitement, and there's a lot of, of, of possibility that God... Um, is, it's doing something, and, we, and I want us to be on board with what, God, what that is. It's hard to know exactly. Like, I, I'm not super in tune with everything that God's doing. I, there's some things I think that I can say, yes, yes, yes. Um, but, but before that can all happen, before we can really grab hold of God's uh, you know, desire for us, the, the vision God has for Coast, before we can really participate and see that that's, uh, that's life-giving and, 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 and all of that, we, we have to make sure that we are actually basing what we're doing on trust and not on all the other things. And so I have just a couple of questions to ask yourself, all right? And hopefully this will hit um, all of us in one way or another. Uh, the first thing is very, very simple. Have I ever trusted Jesus to save me? I mean, did you, did you notice that in Romans 4, 5, when, when, when Paul's like, look, you, everybody, hey, God's looking at you and he's saying, I know you're awful, but I want to be friends with you. But I need you to believe in Jesus. I need you to trust. Okay, if you haven't done that, that's how this all gets started. And if that's not something that's happened in your life, I need you to talk to me about it because we got to start there. That's that's that very first Aladdin's holding out his hand, being like, "Princess, come!" And you got to be like, Egh. "That's the very beginning. It's the initiation of our relationship." Number two, do I expect God to do X, Y, or Z for me because I've done my part? Notice that if that's, this is how, and it's very easy to think this way. Uh, for those, we live in America. We live in a market, free market, relatively free market economy. Okay? Everything that we do with each other is based on contracts because we don't trust each other. Right? We know that everyone's out to get us. And so we have to have lawyers involved and we have to have, uh, it's very, very complicated. And we expect if I do this, then I know that I'm guaranteed to get that. That's how we operate. We operate in a very, like, know, economically mechanistic way of going about things. And it might be that we've internalized that to some, to some level such that we think God kind of owes us something. Hey, big guy. I showed up every Sunday. I gave 10%. 15 around Christmas time. You're welcome. I uh, didn't do whatever that I wanted to because I knew that you wouldn't like it. Where's my prize? Where's my shiny toy? I did my part. You do yours. This is how this works, right? Like, this is it's a transaction. I've accomplished this. Now you accomplish that. And, and then we're simpatico. That's, that's how relationships work. That's how, that's how friendship works, right? That's how business works. I would suggest that probably to some extent or another, we all kind of have this mentality. But that wasn't Abraham's mentality when he was doing well. We'll talk about him failing in a second. But when he was doing well, he, he just said, okay, okay, I believe it. What do you want me to do? And went through this like terrible time of not getting what he wanted. 
Like, Abraham goes for years, decades, without getting what he wants. And at no point is he sitting there and be like, hey, man, I did my part. Where are you at? That doesn't happen. Instead, he just keeps plotting. Sometimes he goes off the, off the path. But for the most part, he just like, okay, I'll keep trusting you. Because you're God and I'm me. And you do what you do. And I've just got to sort of trust that you're doing the right thing. Number three. What am I tired of trusting God about? Uh, the classic example here is um, money. So, like, some people live in a way that, like, every couple months, it's like, okay, God, I don't know if I'm going to make rent. I'm trusting you. Need rent to happen. God's very faithful. God provides rent in some way or another. Two more months go by. God, I'm low again. I'm trusting you. I'm trusting you for this check. I need it. God's like, oh, okay. Here you go. And repeat, 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 repeat. Never ends. What if our trust is a little bit small? Why, instead of being like, God, okay, I need this, I need this 200 to make rent. I'm sorry, here in Southern California. I need this 2,500 to make rent. Um, and instead of, instead of going to that, instead, where's the, where's the, hey, God, I am ready to just hand over everything that has to do with, with finances to you because, yeah. Why do people not do that? Because it's terrifying. See, the thing is, like, whatever it is that we're doing, um, what, our status quo at the very least, it's comfortable. Whatever, and as bad as it is, as horrible as it is, it, it, we're used to it, right? And it's like, okay, this is sort of functional. Let's, the last thing you want to do in that situation is be like, hey, God, um, I'm willing to just hand over everything to do with money or whatever it is in your life and, and, and just see what you want to do with it. Go completely nuts. Turn everything upside down. That's terrifying. I don't want to do that. You don't want to do that. Nobody wants to do that. But maybe that's the kind of trust that God's asking from you. Like, let's get bigger with your trust, willingness to have a complete overhaul rather than just tinkering with some of the stuff on the edges. Number four. This is the one where the leader guy uh, tells you to do something that the leader guy is never going to do himself. How safe and comfortable am I? Because having to trust usually feels dangerous. I confess to you that, uh, well, I know a lot of you, uh, and a lot of you are in business, especially some of the guys here, like entrepreneurs, you know, uh, you've done like these amazing things, and you're just always looking for the next crazy thrill, like, I don't know if this is going to work out, but I love riding the tiger. You know, okay, you're nuts, and God bless you, you deserve everything you get, because that's just a horrible way to live. I would much rather just be like, I don't want to leave my house. I like it a lot. I'm very comfortable there. My TV is very large. Uh, I don't have any reason to go anywhere. I'm just, I like it. But I've noticed that anytime I'm forced to trust, like really trust, it feels scary. Like I'm risking something. Like something's, I'm being vulnerable. Something else I don't like. You know, the, the sort of the, the high point of Abraham's story. What is it? 
He's like 120 years old or something. He's finally got his son, Isaac. You know, the, the promise is here. It's happened. And God goes, hey, buddy, I want you to take your son up and I want you to stab him to death and burn him as a sacrifice to me. I'm not, I mean, all I can say is uh, wherever Abraham's at mentally at that moment, he's probably like, "Uh uh-oh, I don't like this. Some people think that uh, when when this happens, Abraham's been with God so long that he's just like, oh, God's going to do a miracle. I know this guy. He's, He's got it under control. Maybe. But it also says that Abraham raised the knife over his son, his future. And wouldn't we agree that, like, you, you think back to your life and you think about the times when God was really present to you. How comfortable were you? Probably not very. You were probably really worried about some stuff. It was one of those times where we actually needed God. And if we're living in a world where we're completely safe all the time, then we may be ignoring some of the places that God has for us to go. That said, the, the, the moral here is not like run outside and do something stupid. You're like, that's it, I'm taking the life savings, I'm betting on black. I got it, Lord. And when you give me, when I, when I win on black, I'm going to take that money and like give it to Haiti. Okay, whoa, <laughs> Stop. Number one, uh, there's nothing wrong with being safe or comfortable. There, I think God does especially lead us to times of rest, especially after times of, of incredible tumult. So if you've been up through the ups and downs, like it's okay to, to take a breather. Um, but if you've been like smooth sailing for a while, maybe a, a prayer that you might start asking is, hey, God, where, where do you want to shake things up? Number five. What are the tattoos I wear that prove that God and I are good? One of the things that's uh, tough in pastoral ministry is talking to uh, adult singles in the church. Uh, for whatever reason, the church is a place where like, normal means uh, married with kids. And so a lot of times when uh, people aren't married and don't have kids, uh, they feel very awkward in church communities. So they're like, wait, what's wrong with me? <laughs> it's ironic, too, because in the New Testament, uh, Jesus seems, and Paul both seem to prioritize uh, singleness and celibacy uh, as, a, as a way of, of um, following God. But whatever, it's, it's our culture. It is what it is. And there might be a sense in which I walk around, and as a married man with children, I might be like, I'm doing it right, God. And people see that. Uh, or, or and it doesn't. It could be you know you got a good job. You can provide. Um, you know you're uh, you're a good housewife. You know you're. It, it might be that we take things that are actually kind of cultural signifiers, cultural markers that mark us as maybe middle to upper middle class, um, and we might be wearing those things as though they somehow are like proof that we're like tight with God. 
And I would suggest that part of, you know, part of that's a little bit unavoidable. Like, I get it. Like, that's just going to happen because we sort of... But at the same time, I wonder, at a certain point, do we not maybe lean on some of those things? Well, okay, I'm, you know, this part of my life is a disaster, but I've got these things. So I know that God and I are tight. And it might be that we're using uh, those things over there to make us feel like we're justified, like we're, we're right with God. When, in fact... God's actually asking us for, to go somewhere else, somewhere new. And we're like, well, I got, these, I got these cool tats. They remind me of all the times in the past that I was faithful to you, God. And God's like, yeah, but right, right now, though. Right now, though. Last but not least, do I think that God and I can't be close because of who I am? And maybe you might even add what I've done. A lot of people carry a lot of shame into the church. You know, uh, I've spoken with a number of people where it's like, you know, I was at this point in my life where I totally hit bottom. I just wrecked everything, destroyed my, all my relationships, everything, because of my behaviors. And finally, I was like, God, I need to get back in touch with you. And so, the, but, but, but what it is, is it's like, okay, God, I know what to do. I got I to gotta do this, this, fix this, fix that. And then uh, maybe, you know, you won't want to crush me anymore, which would be awesome. Like, I'd love to have a life that's like, you know, not completely a disaster all the time. But at no point... Um, is there a sense that what's going on between you and God? It's like there's peace here. It's like God's not not after you anymore because you've been so naughty. Um, but but there's never a sense that you're like tight or intimate. And of course not. I mean, how could you be, right? God isn't. God's not close with people who are like me, right? Like you. Do you know Abraham pimped his wife? Yeah, true fact. Uh, he, he sold out his wife uh, to the pharaoh of Egypt uh, to, to have sex with so that uh, he wouldn't get, um, so that he wouldn't be attacked. Quality guy. He lied. He uh, lacked faith a lot of times. Uh, he had a lot of blood on his hands. A lot of times he didn't do right by his family. But he believed God. And God said, because you believe, you're my friend. If you don't think that you can be friends, that you can be intimate, that you can be tight with God because of the things that you've done or the things that are going on in your life right now, you're wrong. If you just trust him, you're good. Let's pray. Gracious God, I just um, ask right now that you would uh, send a spirit of trust in this place, that your Holy Spirit would stir our hearts um, to just be after you, to be excited to, to commit to just believing in you, trusting you with scary things in our lives. Shake us up, God. Let us not be uh, people who are complacent. Let us recognize that you have an open invitation to make us right, to be friends with us. And all we got to do, God, is just look and see where your invitation is, and just say yes. God, may um, your spirit open up a place in every person's heart here where you say in one way or another, do you trust me? And God, may every one of us respond yes. And in that, may may we here at Coast be a church known um, as your friends, as people who are right with you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Uh, It's his blood, it's his sacrifice that makes it all possible for us.
We acknowledge that and honor him. Amen.